All right, let's take our Bibles. I want you to meet me over there in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start a uh, slow series. Um, Not that it's going to take forever, but I really want to go verse by verse through this description here of the armor of the Lord. I think this is very important, and I think many times... Wow, great graphic. Ooh, that looks really good. I did not see that until right now. That's impressive. Um, I really think there's a lot to be mined from this Scripture. I think that's a good way to look at the Scripture, too. It's, it's like, it's like a, a gem mine. I don't know how many of you guys have been to those. We actually went to one on vacation. Remy loved it. She couldn't do much because she was in a little carrier. But when she saw those gemstones, man, her hands were like... <clears throat> it was the cutest thing. But, you know, you buy these buckets and there's all this dirt and soot and other stuff, but you mine it through the water and you get gems. Not to say there's dirt and soot and useless stuff in God's Word, because there's not. But this is all good. And if we take our time and really comb through it and see what the Word is telling us, and then take those things with the idea of applying them to our lives, we're going to see a lot of progress. And I think for the believer... When we talk about the armor of God, there's a lot of specifics in this armor, multifaceted. It's not just, you know, pray before you walk outside and everything will be fine. Not to undervalue prayer, but there's more than just that. And there's a lot that we can learn and in turn actually put on, as the scripture says, the whole armor of God. Before we get into all the specific pieces, we'll do that in the weeks to come. I want to focus on verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. These are kind of the precursor as to how we put on the specific armor pieces. We're going to read them all together, and then we'll go verse by verse through those um, three verses tonight, those four verses. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Very important verse. And I'll show you some things, a story in the Old Testament that I think will be quite eye-opening. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." So the first thing I want to look at in verse 10 is strong power and might. This is actually a literary device where it says something twice to describe the first thing. What's the first instruction here? Be strong. This is for the believer. We know from it saying, my brethren. Not just because it says, my brethren, but specifically, it targets it. Finally, my brethren, and we're in the last chapter of Ephesians Paul is closing up this beautiful letter that describes the blessings we have and how we're supposed to use those blessings, how the church operates, how the marriage is supposed to operate, all these different things. He says, in closing, you need to get prepared because you're going to come under attack. Notice, though, the believer's strength is composed of a double description of the Lord. Look what it says. Be strong in the Lord, that's our subject, and in the power of his might. That's overstating. Power, might, strong. These are all kind of the same word. But what this means is the Lord's power is described as mighty. 
This is to say it is above than what we just understand in basic power. Think of the most powerful military devices that exist today. Stealth bombers, the nuclear bomb, EMPs, all this kind of stuff that could literally crumble civilizations. If a tank was coming here towards Calvary Community Church, I'm not going to take aim with my 380, right? Like that'll do a couple, you know, chinks in the armor, but all they got to do is let one of them things go in, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? <laughs> you know, so that's, that's real power. You look at that and say, wow. You can think of the strongest, most powerful thing that this earth can provide, like natural storms, earthquakes, hurricanes, all these different things. The Lord's power is significantly greater than those things. And the believer is told to be strong in that power. There's a lot of Christianity today that teaches you covert narcissism, which is one of the most deadly diagnoses of narcissism. You have plain narcissism where it's in the open, but covert narcissism is the narcissist doesn't even know that they're a narcissist, and many other people can't distinguish it either. They're so self-deceiving. There are a lot of Christians who struggle from this too because they think all the battles that they fight, they have their own internal strength. They put God aside and try to work through their flesh. The Bible says to be strong in God's power. This is a mental switch. We're supposed to not say, I'm strong because I'm strong. We're supposed to say, I am strong because I am found in him. That's where the power is. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The fight is ours, but the power is his. Amen? We are not supposed to go in there and say, I'm ready to fight against the devil one-on-one in my flesh nature. Oh, well, you know, when my mama taught me math early, so I got a quick whip up here. Okay, good luck. <laughs> if you're going to try and fight the devil in your own strength, you're going to lose. And here's the, here's the real interesting thing about the devil's tactics. He uses pride. And it's hard to identify pride when you're looking to yourself. You kind of realize like, oh, What I was calling God's will was really my will. It could become very dangerous. Look at verse 2, or excuse me, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want you to focus on the first two words, put on. There is a requirement for you to do something. You got to put it on. Imagine somebody took me to a men's warehouse and bought me a nice suit, Got me a nice watch, new shoes, all that. Get it all sized. The week later, it's ready to go. And I pick it up. And it's nice. It's in that bag. I mean, mm, smells good. Got the creases and everything. Johnny's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He knows. It's a man of fashion right there. And I come to church, and I just hang the suit up right here on a hanger. And I'm in my pajamas. I have the things that are necessary to be properly clothed. But what's the problem here? I didn't put it on. You may say, okay, pastor, this is overly simple. This is a lot of struggle in the Christian life. People have all that they need in the word of God, but they're not actually doing what it says. So there's this idea of God's power and humanity's, the the human's cooperation to tap into that power. Put on, and look what it says here, the whole armor of God. We can't go, all right, well, I'm just going to wear, I'm just going to prepare my feet with the gospel of peace, as it says there in verse 15, and the rest of yourself is just totally exposed. 
Okay, well, all it takes is a well-placed arrow right to your dome, and it doesn't matter how protected your feet are, battery has been disconnected. we got to use all of it. This is why it's important, too, that you have to make sure... I want you to imagine your mind has a gate around it, different gates. you got to close each one. You can't leave one open or one, you know, ajar. I'll get to it later. you got to defend. you got to make sure these things are, are, are protected. Put on the whole armor of God, and here's the result, that ye, the believer, may be able, you're able to do something, to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay, now we're not, we don't use this word anymore. It's archaic, but it means the attacks of the devil. The trickery, the deceit, the things that he uses to deceive you from what God has already says is true. You can stand against those things, and it's not in your own strength. It's in God's strength, which is found in his armor. And you got to go get dressed. you got to go put that on. A couple of notes here. The Lord's strength is available, but not usable until it is put on by the believer. This is not the only place where we see this. Hold your spot in Ephesians 6, and go with me very quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Sorry, Robert, I put verse 18 on the notes there, but it's actually verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. But let us who are of the day, this is a description of the believer, be sober, that doesn't mean, okay, well, don't drink, although you shouldn't do that, but it means be level-headed, grave in your mind, putting on, and he says, the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. It's not going to magically appear unto you, and all of a sudden you find yourself clothed with these elements. And I want you to know here, what Paul is saying to this body of believers is, to encourage them that the day of the Lord has not yet come. See, they, they, they had the gospel. They were doing Christian things, but they got swindled by deception. There were many of them, according to chapter 4, that they were concerned that the day of the Lord had already come. And in Paul's second letter to Thessalonica, he talks about it again. Don't have fear. You're going to know when that day comes, because you'll be absent with the body and present with the, uh, absent from this body and present with the Lord. Go back to Ephesians chapter six. Satan uses these key methods to get believers to doubt the will of God: denial, dismissal, and disobedience. And it goes from the le- the, the level of subtlety. Denial, very simple. You you, you just deny the truth. Yea, hath God said you will not surely die. Dismissal, taking the truth and not only saying no, but actually removing it, dismissing it, and then it cultivates in what? Disobedience. And what is disobedience? The action. Note other places in Scripture where believers are taught how to stand against the devil. We're going to look at those now. 1 Peter 5. Hold your spot in Ephesians. Go to 1 Peter 5. These are some verses, if you're looking to get into memorizing Scripture, I think this would be a great place to start. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Page 1315. Be sober. Be vigilant. Does that sound like a lazy person? 
just floating through life, bouncing around without any control? No, that sounds like a person who knows what's up. Because, the reason why you should be sober and vigilant is because your adversary, who? Your mother-in-law. No, 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 that's not what it says. That one coworker that it's always taken my parking spot. No. Seriously, though, those people are not our enemies. Who's the ultimate enemy? The devil. What is he doing? As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That's, you don't want to be a snack for the devil. And he'll eat you up, folks. He will. We, we see that. Peter was told. The, God, the, the man who wrote this was told. The devil desires to sift you like wheat. You know how easy it is to do that? Very easy. He'll do the same thing to us if we're not sober and not vigilant. But look what it says. Whom, and this is the operating word here, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We are supposed to resist the devil. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, turn with me there, we are told to flee from the devil. This is not taught in the word faith movement, which is, you know, it's a pagan movement, which kind of goes with the idea, if you say it, you'll manifest it. I heard some crazy stuff where it's like, if you say it, your words take up space, and, and that space is composed of matter and energy, and therefore it will happen. <laughs> but people believe that stuff. And folks, we know they do because those ministries are still alive and they're not hanging on. They're doing just fine. If they dropped a million dollars in the parking lot, they wouldn't know. And I don't know if I'd tell them. You know, that, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're told to resist in 1 Peter 5. But then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, what's it say? But thou, O man of God, what a description of young Timothy. Flee these things. Follow after righteousness. So look up here for a moment. We're not just supposed to run aimlessly away. We run to something else. It's an active escape plan. You run to a safe place. Where, where, where's the safety here? Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and my favorite one, meekness. Strength held in reserve. That's meekness. Strength held in reserve. You run to those things. You don't just... Run around aimlessly, you know, overburdened with all these things. Run to that sound mind of love and peace. Don't just aimlessly run around. There's a lot of Christians that are doing that. So we're supposed to resist. We're supposed to flee. Look at Romans 6. Still holding on to Ephesians. Romans chapter 6. Look in verses 12 through 13. Romans is one of those places where it's so hard to read two verses. It's like, you, it's like a rule you have to read three. But this is such a good section of Scripture here. Look what it says in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it, the sin, in the desire or lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves unto God. You see, all three principles there, resist, flee, and now it says yield. What does it mean when you're driving and you see yield? You yield your progress to someone else's progress. Okay? Passengers have the right of way. Okay? 
If a passenger's in a crosswalk, you're supposed to what? Yield your right of way to them. You forfeit that so they can accomplish their path. It's the same thing with God, folks. Our desires, our plan, our sinful nature, we are supposed to mortify that and submit to the Lord. That's where you're going to see true growth. You don't fight the devil in your own mental ability, in your own physical strength. That's not going to bear fruit. What did Jesus say in John 15? Without me, you can do nothing. That's pretty descriptive. I think nothing means nothing. So I can't do anything outside of Christ working in me. So I want to make sure I'm yielding to his will over my will. This is what Paul means when he says, I reckon myself dead. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. A beautiful verse to understand Paul's mentality. And then he said in 1 Corinthians 2, I desire to know nothing more among you except Christ and him crucified. Boy, I like that. We need more people to travel the country teaching that. Amen? I think of Dr. Arnold and all the work he's doing. He's going to be 83 this year. Is that right? 82. Oh, I'm in trouble now. Y'all ain't going to see me here next week. <laughs> I'm going to get voted out. <laughs> no, think, think, think about it. There are, there are so many other things that people would say, that's fine, he can do that. He can retire, that's fine, he can do that. This man's on a mission. And what's he doing? Teaching the deep things of God? Revealing the mysteries in his new book? No, no. He's just teaching Jesus and him crucified. Amen? We need more people like that. You and I should be like that. Back to Ephesians chapter 6. Look in verse 12. Now we're going to talk about the real battleground. This right here will blow your mind. I, I remember this story we're going to look at in the Old Testament in a minute. I remember this story, and I, as a kid, I was like, what? This happened? Look what this says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So let me say this. These demons, these spiritual wickedness in high places, they have authority. They have strength. They have worldwide influence. Isn't that true today? It's everywhere. Everywhere. And also, they are evil in character. There's not that one demon that's like, mm, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll be an angel of righteousness tomorrow. I'm just not sure. No, they're set against you. I, I don't think we get that. They're set against us. There's not some storybook ending or some way we can change a demon's mind. They made their decision a long time ago. They are opposed to you and your spiritual progress. If they can't keep you lost, they will keep you so sorry and ineffective, you'll help keep other people lost. That's a sad truth for many believers. But we see this story here in 2 Kings. Look at it with me for a moment, please. Hold your spot in Ephesians. This is a big page turn. For the sake of time, I'll just give you a little bit of a synopsis of what was going on. Elisha is about to get attacked by a major world power of his time. His servant is scared. He had gotten up early, and he went, he scouted it out, and he saw, we are not ready. We are not ready for this battle. He is full of fear, Elisha's servant here. He goes and spies everything out. He's over there in Dothan, 
And he comes to this conclusion in verse 15. Take a look. 2 Kings 6, verse 15. I don't know if I gave you the full reference. So 2 Kings 6, 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. So what he had scoped out was now on the horizon. Can you imagine seeing a fully armed police battalion around your house in the morning? Lights, bullhorns, guns ablaze, ready to go, ready to take you down. Be scary. His servant said unto him, Alas, master, how shall we do? Not what. How are we going to do this? <laughs> and he answered, Oh, I love this. Fear not. Okay, why? Everything I'm physically seeing is against what you just said. We're going to lose, man. This is bad. What's he say? Fear not. I love this. I'm getting chills right now. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. What do you mean? Did you see what's over there? Hello? Look what he says in verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Now, his eye, were his eyes open? Yeah, he could see the present danger. But now he saw the spiritual battleground. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain, not the base of the mountain where all the physical people were, the mountain up high was full of horses and chariots, not of brass, not of wood, of fire. Can you imagine seeing that? Do you know what that tells you and me? There are things that we can't see that are happening right now. Right now. There's spiritual warfare going on in here. You don't hear it. You don't see it. But Paul tells us we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Although we may come into combat with other humans who are opposed to us. Think of early Christianity as they lost their lives and shed their blood for their faith. But that's not our primary victory. What motivates those men to movement is these demonic forces. The nature of man working in concert with the demonic forces. You know what I just found out today? This will surprise you. Overseas in the UK and Europe and other places, they have been trying and are now pushing to get licensed psychedelic therapeutic treatment. What do I mean by that? There is now a pra an established practice, they're trying to establish results, where people who are suffering from multiple illnesses, mental illnesses, are now being encouraged to undergo supervised psychedelic trips because the idea is it will rewire your brain. It will, all right, but not in a way that you want. And that's now coming to the United States. They're starting to try these things. Spiritual wickedness in high places, folks. We're spiritual beings, but we're spiritually separated from God. And an unsaved person who goes under some type of shaman practice or whatever it is that brings them into the spiritual place where they're not supposed to be, they don't have any defense, they don't have the Holy Spirit, they're not bought and purchased of God, possession will run rampant in this country. And I mean, you're going to see that in the end times anyway. But this story right here always blew my mind because I thought, man, I know the one who has power over all that. Isn't that something? 
So look back in Ephesians 6. I know we're over time, but bear with me. Ephesians 6, it says there, we're wrestling against those principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then verse 13, he repeats what he said in verse 11. But there's a different result now. Not only will you stand, but that will be all that you have done. Notice here, you're simply standing in the power and presence of God. The work is done by him through you, yielded. Look what it says in verse 13. Wherefore, in light of all these things, take unto you the whole armor of God. It's exactly what he said in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. What's the difference? That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, what's the result? To stand. That is very important to note. You stand. You are firmly planted. You're not going anywhere. You're His. And all these things will happen to you, but they won't have the victory. You know how you end up falling? How you end up on your rear end looking up going, what happened? You don't have the whole armor of God on. You can close your Bibles. I want to give you this illustration here. I grew up going to summer camps. I'm so thankful for this. I learned so much. I went to Lowry Park summer camps. I went to the Museum of Science and Industry. We used to call it Mosey. And that was at the time when Mosey had the big domed IMAX. It was awesome. I remember the first time I went in there, I watched some type of nature documentary, and the guy like jumped off of a cliff with the squirrel suit, and I got sick. I was like, Ooh, it was like so real. But they had this exhibit there, and I think they still have it today. I don't know what's going on with Mosey. But anyway, it was this big tube, and it was a hurricane wind force. Ashley's going, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and you could, you know, pay your dollar and, a, and 50 cents. And you go in there, and someone stands on the other side, and you stand inside, and, and it closes on you, and it goes from 10 to 20 to 30. I don't know how intense it gets, but there's, there's a, a point in that tube where you could literally lean forward in a way that if you did it without the wind, you'd fall down. And I've always thought about the kid that goes in there and some guy's messing around on the outside and he's, you know, all of 45 pounds and he's just... I never saw that, but I wondered if it ever happened. But I, I, I always remember that when I'm looking at this scripture and other places in Ephesians where it says, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We don't have to be like that guy who's in that hurricane simulator and is just losing his mind. We can stand in the eye of the storm where there's peace, where the Lord is, and experience this victory. You think this is important to the Christian life? You think this is important to your spiritual success? It is. And I'm looking forward to breaking down item by item what these things are. I think it'll be a great blessing. So I encourage you to be here, especially on these next few Wednesday nights as we go over this. Let me share with you how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Several hours ago, I was sitting in the office with a young man today, and we talked about this very thing. This hand represents you and me. This represents sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages or payment for sin is death, eternal separation forever in a place called hell. God, he loves us very much, but he hates our sin because it separates us from him. In order to get to heaven and be with him to have eternal life, you have to be sinless. Not sin sinning less, but you have to have no sin, past, present, or future. 
And we all fall short. All of the world religions teach that you can pay for this with good works. And they all have their own uh, list of good works. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying a prayer, turning from sin, all, whatever it may be, being a good person by the world's standards. That's the conversation I had today. Well, who is good in the eyes of God? Nobody. We all have what? This. So this needs to be paid. We can't do it by our own good works. Not of works does any man should boast, is what Ephesians 2.9 says. This hand represents the only begotten Son of God. God loved us so much that He sent His Son to die in our place. For God so loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, anybody, oh, but what? not the worst of us, who's the best of us? <laughs> we all have sin. Whosoever believeth in Him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, should not perish, which means end up separated from God in a place called hell, should not perish, but have a certain kind of life. It ain't temporary, and it ain't probational. Praise God, it's eternal life. And the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ's finished work for you on the cross, you receive as a free gift everlasting life. That's the best news in all the world. There's nothing better that we could choose to say outside of that. And now... Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, having received the righteousness of God, we put on the whole armor of God. Because now we got a target. We're now what you call effective. We can help bring people to the same knowledge of the truth. The devil doesn't want that. You saw what the devil wanted to do with Job. You think that was a pleasant thing? Who got the glory out of that? God did. And you can know that you have eternal life by simply believing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? And now that you know, go tell other people. And be ready for the attacks, because they're coming. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here tonight and you maybe are watching on the internet and you say, I didn't know where I was going to go when I died before tonight, and now I understand that as a sinner I'm separated from God and I need a payment for my sin or else I'll have to spend an eternity separated from him. And the best you know how you put your trust, you simply believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, whose name is Jesus. I would like to pray for you. Would you send us an email? Send, leave us a comment, something. We will reach out to you. You're a child of God now by faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for the teaching and edifying found in your word. Bring us back here safely for the rest of our services this week. In Jesus' name, we pray these things.